many years ago, there was something called the Ocean Controversy. It was centered on whether one could accept Jesus as Savior to save, but not make him the Lord in your life. One side was that submission to his authority required in a genuine state religion. On the other side, some felt demanding such obedience as to the doctrine of justification by grace among the faith of all. So who's right? I'm convinced that we cannot separate Jesus the same from Jesus the Lord. Those who refuse to talk about Christ's rule and power when presenting the gospel are in the wrong. They cheat and grace all easy to leave it. And sadly, some influential voices from this sensational circle promoted this error. I'm thankful that some like John MacArthur spoke up, being a dispensationalist himself, to take me stock and felt on this But as he always does, he turns to the scriptures to address this matter. Here's what MacArthur had to say in a sermon from 2009. Quote, there's a tendency for dispensationalists to get carried away with compartmentalizing truth to the point that they make unbiblical differentiations. An almost obsessive desire to categorize the concepts of native truth has carried various dispensationalist interpreters far beyond the legitimate distinction between Israel and the church. Many would also draw hard lines between salvation and discipleship, the church and the kingdom, Christ's teaching and the apostolic message, faith and repentance, and the age of law and the age of grace. The age of law, age of grace division in particular, has big havoc on dispensationalist theology and contributed to confusion about the doctrine of salvation. MacArthur later in the same sermon quoted A.W. Tozer, some that are well, well before controversy. Quote, the Lord will not save those who he cannot command. <laughs> you will not divide his office. You cannot believe on behalf of Christ. Think it more wealthiest, the anointed Savior, and the Lord who is King of Kings of God. He will not be clear if he's taken us and taught us and chose us without the understanding that he can also guide and control our lives. We talk about dividing the offices of Jesus and Christ. That's us talking about today's topic. Christ asking. The whole concept of Eunice triplets threefold office of Christ has something to say about the more recent Christian controversy. You could bring the question differently. Is it possible to accept Jesus Christ as high priest, but not as king? Could it be that many are fixated on the word Lord without fully understanding Christ? We sound a bit heady and heavy, so you see if I can use that illustration. I'll take you back to the 
late summer of 2016. I'm back in Northern Virginia and busy getting ready for marriage. Wedding invitations, venues, feathers, even planning, etc. All that did happen and it was stressful yet totally worth it. But now, as a content, I tell my fiance the following Erin, I love you, I want to marry you, you're the love of my life. I accept you as a Korean American, a daughter of a pastor and a missionary. But there is this one thing. I do not accept you as a registered nurse. Now, if you're earring, what would you say? You didn't become a nurse by rolling a dice, just to cash a paycheck, and move on to something else later. You prayerfully chose this career, wanting to help people and work with others to share this compassion. Being a nurse doesn't say everything about you, Ray, but it still says a lot. It's very important to her for identity. How should she react to a man who won't accept her as a nurse? That's how ridiculous. That's how the Lordship controversy I'll come into Jesus, accept them as Savior and priest, not as people. Okay, that's enough stories and quotes and illustrations. Ultimately, it's God's word that will set up the story. We'll need it for when we establish that Christ is truly king. Christ is holy. We face this truth as we open the Bible. Once we see it for ourselves, we should say with utmost confidence that earth receive our name, that every heart will hear that name. Now the passage I've chosen for today is 2 Samuel 7, 1 to 17. There are many passages that talk about Christ's But before I read, let me take a few minutes to set the stage. We go back and start way back with Abraham and Sarah. They were promised that things that would come from their own. That proves that God was not supposed to be per se, but only in his timing and under his ultimate rules. And like Abimelech and Saul were unfit to be rulers, so any hopes of a lasting dynasty died with them. Then comes David as the second king of Israel after Saul. But he's second to none besides, of course, Jesus. David united the tribes under his rule. His political rivals were vanquished. Enemy nations were subdued. Also, he has conquered Jerusalem and made it the city of David, the capital of the nation. Now, Jerusalem not only had the name of David on it, it also it's also the place where the Lord God chose to his name. That's why the king was so excited to bring the Ark of the Covenant to the city in 2 Samuel 6. It was an initial slip up that caused a tragic casualty, but after some contemplation, David got the Ark into Jerusalem properly with much fanfare, sacrifice, and joy. At this point, life was good for him. He was settled. 
but something unsettled him. Now let's read 2 Samuel 7, 1 to 17, and see what that's all about. Go by 2 Samuel 7, page 263 of the Pew Bible. 2 Samuel 7, 1 to 17, page 216 of the Pew Bible. If you don't have one, you can take the Bible. Now it came to pass, when the king was dwelling in his house, the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around. But the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside ten curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart. The Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, you build a house for me to dwell in. For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt even to this day. But I moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I never spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel? I commanded the shepherd my people of Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of Jesus? Now therefore, thus, said, thus shall you say, My servant David. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel, and I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, in, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your father, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and shall be my son. This iniquity I will chasten him with the rod of men, with the clothes of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from the song, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words, according to all this vision, so make this The king had a mountain ambition, and initially Nathan encouraged him to follow through. Like I said two weeks ago, prophets can say more than what God gives them. Here in verse 3, he's just giving his opinion on the matter. He was not speaking the inspired words of God. But starting in verse 4, God himself, in effect, vetoes what Nathan said earlier. This verse in verse 17 frames the passage as is recorded the prophet deliver the message. All that's between verses 5 to 16 reveal the contents of that night vision. This is what's famously known as the Davidic Covenant. Though the word covenant not in this passage is found in reflections of this schematic later. And there are some structural divisions within verses 5 to 
Verses 5 and 8 are parallel. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. Sounds a lot like, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts. These phrases break up the speech. And then in the second half of verse 11, there's another break in marker. Also the Lord tells you. It's like going on to these depths, but you have to come up out of the water to get some air. So verses 5, 8, and the second half of verse 11 can be treated as headings of division. That gives us three sections. Verses 4 to 7, 8 to 11, A, 11, B, 7. So we might call these three sections three reactions to David's good intentions. I also think that Three parts correspond to the three phases of Israelite history, past, present, and future from David's vantage point. First in verses 4 to 7, we learn that in history, God is greater than any human mission. God is greater than any human mission. Secondly, we find that in verses 8 to 11a, that God desires lowly candidates for the kingly office. God desires lowly candidates for the kingly office. This is shown in David's way. Thirdly, we find in verses 11b to 16 or 17 that God promises to establish the ridicule forever after David's passing. God promises to establish the biblical rule after David's passing. As expected, we'll spend most time on the third point in anticipation. The first lesson here is that God is greater than any human mission. I'll be brief on this point. I don't know what tone was used with the question in verse 4 Would you build a house for me to dwell in? I don't think that the Lord was displeased with David's wish to build a temple. God's not being sarcastic or disparaging. Rather, I think it's more like when we send gifts to our parents or grandparents and they, they tell us, oh, you don't need to give me anything. That's all I need. Now, our elderly family members probably do need something for themselves, so give them presents anyway. <laughs> so, but as for God, He really doesn't need anything from us. He's self sufficient. He owns it all. The Lord explained in verses 6 and 7 that He has never dwelt in the permanent abode, was on the move, even after they entered the promised land of Canaan. He never asked to dwell in a better location. doesn't need He owns it all. The Lord declares in Isaiah 66, 1-2, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me, and where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist. Now if you continue in Isaiah 66, verse 2, you hear God saying the following, On this one will I know, on him who is poor, Contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. 
that God who establishes it. See that word establish four times in five verses? I that word are two words in the original language. It doesn't make much comment, but we should make much of how it's the Lord. Now let's dig deeper into the verses of Christ. I thought about how I will condemn these promises of Christ and the very king, This next weekend we have Christmas Day. I thought we would prepare by talking about five messianic truths, five verses, corresponding to five weekdays of heaven. On Monday, look at verse 12. Think of the word. Consider how Christ, the descendant of David, schemed of David. David lived there forever. Without question, he's both dead and buried, and his tomb was in Jerusalem. One of his sons will continue the monarchy, and for Jesus to be Christ, the anointed king, he must come from David. God has sworn with us both David that of the fruit of his body, according to his flesh, will raise up the Christ to honest. The gospel writers made sure to present Jesus as the seed of David. That's why the New Testament begins by placing his genealogy in the early chapters of Luke. We see the same idea, the same result, except this time we trace very soon. So don't just look at the Christmas tree one day. Think about the Jesse tree. I mean, on Tuesday, think about the temple described in verse 13. In Israel past and Israel future, there's a special relationship between the house of David and the house of the Lord. It shows the ideal, ideal king's heart for true worship. David set the tone in Psalm 132. We're told that he was a bound to work on. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house with both the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my mind until I find a place for the Lord, the dwelling place of the mighty one of Jacob. And even though David wasn't allowed to build a temple himself, with blood stained glory resting, Made sure to get this project ready for his son Like David, Jesus Christ, the King, has the same passion for temple worship. Twice he cleansed the temple of God in Zion. Jesus is also like Solomon, but much better. When Christ returns, he builds a literal temple with the blueprint taken from the people. Until then, all the other temples in the city of Solomon a mere dream of the coming attraction in the millennium. That future building will be more glorious than anything we've seen on earth because of the glory of the perfect. On Wednesday, think about the Father and the Son. 
That's what relationship is. God has committed to you. It's described in verse 14. This is the promise that the king of David's line will be the greatest king on earth. Just as the firstborn in the family has the eminence for the younger siblings. But with that privilege also comes responsibility. When the king is out of line, the Lord will discipline will lead him in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. With Jesus, of course, there's no iniquity in him. Because he's the perfect God man. Hebrews 5 8 still tells us that though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he himself did. Jesus is son in two ways, both in eternal origins and in disappointment overall. Both ontological and because Christ is the firstborn over all creation and firstborn from the dead, he can be the firstborn over sins. That's why you can ask the Father for the ends of the earth as he can. Continuing on Thursday, think about mercy. Consider how even bad characters like Railroad and Manasseh, like the, the bidding house would be ruined. But God does not abandon his promise to the Lord alone. Psalm 89, Jeremiah 32, that his loving kindness, faithfulness, covenant, and promises are secure. He has sworn that they would see. Christ is the pure mercy of David. Because Jesus is the son of David, the house of David will be mercy. Even if other sons fail in sin, David will not fail to have a man that's ruled him. Even when the royal house looks like a tree stump, church shall come. Man shall grow out of Even in Israel's current blindness, there's this blessed hope. The deliverer will come out of mind and will turn away ungodliness and judgment. On Friday, consider how everything comes together in verse 16. Think about the word forever. The royal house. Kingdom of Israel, the throne of David will last for eternity because of Jesus. Even death could not stop this king. Jesus' soul was not left to Hades, nor did his flesh be corruption. Jesus is Christ, Christ is King, blessed forever, sustained forever, is given glory. Saturday and Sunday, I hope you'll join us to celebrate Jesus, born of the seed of David according to the flesh. In fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, came to earth, promised for a manger this land. That far came for to stay It's clear that Jesus fulfills the role of Christ, the Davidic king. 
accompaniment, submission, authority. Who are not popular words? Nothing will grow in our hearts. Not touch, not understand. You're my nature, We thank you that you yourself purely know the word. For our benevolent, humble, and clear that you love us. You are not like your own. And confident kings of this world. Yes, that as we think about this season, as we think about next year, however long you have us here on earth, arrange our lives with you. Submit ourselves to you, the need for your authority. Yes, that give us more humility. Submit to your word. Get to know you. Tell us, Amen. Amen.